he did that. He asked me quite a while ago, so I had lots of time. Of course, I didn't think as much on it as I had thought I might, but when we left two weeks ago yesterday to go to Washington, D.C. so that we could be at Arlington Cemetery um, for the burial of Barb's dad back on Tuesday, May 17th, uh, we arrived on Saturday and met, hooked up eventually with some of our family, but we ended up going down to the uh, district where the various monuments and memorials are located, and it was at that point that I really thought about um, Memorial Day, and as I was at the Lincoln Memorial, and then the Jefferson Memorial, and then the uh, World War Two Memorial, which actually did not happen for me until later that night, but uh, it was uh, while I was walking from the Washington Monument, and if you've been to Washington, D.C., you have the Washington Monument, and then to the west, I'm not sure if that's the exact orientation, but at the other end of the mall area, you have the Lincoln Memorial, and if you stand at the Washington Monument and look at the Lincoln Memorial and look off to your left uh, is the Jefferson Memorial, and if you look off to your right is the White House, and uh, the, the Capitol District was set up in that particular way. And uh, as I was walking from, I was catching up with everybody else, uh, because I, I forget why, probably because I'm old and slow, but uh, as I was doing that walking from the Washington Monument, uh, I had gotten a good report from Dick Muller about what was going on in his life. We've been praying for him uh, with a, a form of lung cancer, which has turned out to be uh, something less critical than what was originally believed by the grace of God. Uh, and uh, after talking with Dick, I wanted to share with, uh, with HP for uh, the Lord's Day uh, here uh, what was going on with Dick. And it was at that point that HP uh, told me that Evan... Hyman was almost ready to be with the Lord. And that, at that point, it was, it was sealed that the memorial would be at the very heart of what I wanted to bring to us today. We have read about some important memorial events uh, in Exodus chapter 3 and in Exodus chapter 12. There are many others, but as we think about memorials of Christ, uh, wanted to use what I would consider to be a very great um, summary of the Lord's Supper uh, given to us, accounts are given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Apostle Paul, who had all of those things, uh, or at least most of them, he, he kind of summarizes and brings it all together in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. And we'll conclude our reading at that point. Tomorrow, <coughs> excuse me, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Uh, I took the time to do a, redo a brief uh, checking up on the history. It was first known as Decoration Day, and anybody know why that might be the case? Because it was on this particular day that uh, graves of uh, soldiers were decorated in uh, many states. This happened and began to become a practice in every state following the Civil War when so many uh, brothers in the North and brothers in the South, and, and not to exclude the sisters as well, lost their lives, but it was a day that was set aside to go and visit uh, those graves, leaving flowers and wreaths. Uh, I expect, uh, knowing how it works with uh, our youngest son and his family with us, as uh, they, they come uh, at this time each year, that we'll be over at uh, day, uh, over by day school, and uh, they will have wreaths and other things that will be part of a brief Memorial Day ceremony there. The official date, if you want to attribute it to Decoration Day, is probably May 30th, 1868. Um, the name Memorial Day it was first used in 1882 and gained uh, much more popularity following World War II. And in the late 60s, we had the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, uh, and so Memorial Day is no longer always on May 30th. Uh, but it depends on what Monday is the closest to May 30th. And it just so happens that uh, this year, May 30th, uh, is tomorrow, Monday. So we are celebrating it on what was the traditional day of the year. And from what I understand, that day was picked because it was one of the only days on the calendar in American history up until the time of World War, um, the Civil War, where there were no battles where soldiers lost their lives within the bounds of our country. So they wanted to do something like that. I don't know if that's still the case. What is a memorial is the first question. And I decided and I looked up um, the first dictionary that popped up on my cell phone when I was looking this up. Uh, and I don't even know what dictionary it was, but the definition given. And I want you to listen to these because I'm going to ask you at the end, there's at least one word that, that is found in one form or another in all of these definitions. And so the first was something, especially a structure, established to remind people of a person or event. And then when I couldn't figure out whose dictionary that was, I Googled Merriam-Webster and uh, got this, something that keeps remembrance alive such as a monument, something that commemorates a keepsake or a memento. Uh, then I decided to check uh, the, one of the dictionaries of real English, as Jonathan would tell us, the Cambridge Dictionary, uh, which said a memorial is a ceremony to remember someone who has died, which usually takes place after they have been buried. And... Uh, not knowing whether Jonathan would be happy with the Cambridge or the Oxford Dictionary, I uh, give you one more definition. And it is interesting that there's a, a word that's in the two English dictionaries uh, that, that I quote from, 
but not in the others. And the Oxford Dictionary is a, says it is a statue, stone, or etc., that is built in order to remind people of an important past event of a famous person who has died. Well, uh, what word is common to all those four? Anybody catch it? Begins with the letter R. Uh, remind or remember or remembrance. Um, what is common to Cambridge and Oxford is that it ties to that idea of remembering somebody who died. And so death becomes associated as well with this uh, word memorial. Uh, and now getting back to tomorrow, Memorial Day, there, it is one of a number of national holidays uh, where we remember people or events. Uh, the year begins uh, in this way with President's Day in May, um, a, a day that I have uh, grown to accept, having grown up, that there were only two presidents who, who received a, a special day, and that was President Washington and President Lincoln, and we had two days off from school in February instead of just one. Then uh, now we have added Martin Luther King Day to remember uh, the significant uh, things that uh, uh, the pastor Martin Luther King did in his ministry to uh, promote uh, the equality of all people uh, before the Lord. We have then Memorial Day, which we celebrate tomorrow. Um, followed by the 4th of July when we celebrate our independence. Memorial Day we celebrate, and this is something I did not realize until I, I did a little more checking. I always assume Memorial Day is we remember those who died in military service, but it, it is, and it also includes those who had served and had put themselves in a place by being in the armed forces to give their lives uh, for uh, their beloved countrymen. Uh, somewhat in the in following the, the truth of what Jesus says is greater love is is no person than that they would give their lives for their friends for those whom they love. Uh, then we get to Labor Day and and I I think probably most other workers decided how come the military gets all of this and so we need a day that we can get some credit as well. Uh, I don't know. If we actually probably labor unions were behind that. We then have Veterans Day which I always remember, at least historically, because it always occurred on Rich Marshall's birthday, but not when it's on a Monday now. And he's looking at me like, really? <laughs> uh, used to be celebration of Columbus Day, which is now celebrated in some places but not others, and we won't go into those reasons. We have other special days for mothers, for fathers, grandparents. We have religious holidays. Uh, but the, the seventh uh, holiday is that I think we need to remember as well is on the um, last Thursday. I don't know that it's always the last Thursday, but I'm pretty sure it is um, of November. Uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving, which historically had an object to it, that we celebrate Thanksgiving so that we can give thanks to the Lord God and his son, Jesus Christ, for what they have done in uh, the blessings that have been upon the United States of America. Anymore, you ask somebody who, who, who is Thanksgiving to on Thanksgiving Day, and it's amazing how many people don't know how to answer that or answer that in any way other than to give thanks to Almighty God. Well, uh, 
There are Bible roots to the concept of memorials and Memorial Day that I would like to um, turn our attention to for a few minutes in our sermon this morning. The idea of memorials is a biblical one coming from the very foot of the throne of God in heaven itself. Uh, words in the Bible that are associated with the idea of memorial. There are, there are words that actually literally mean memorial, uh, but there are other words that are associated to it, but they're all related to, in the Old Testament, to one uh, root word, zakar, uh, in the Hebrew language, which is the verb to remember, and in the New Testament to uh, the verb, and I can't really pronounce this very well, and I can't pronounce it in English or in Greek, Mne uh, monuo, monomic, people that have great memories and stuff, uh, comes from this word, and their memorial comes from this word as well, uh, although it, it travels through the Latin. Um, uh, but the words that we're going to be talking about today all have that as its root uh, as we look into these things. And uh, to s- summarize, Um, what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about God, the God who remembers, but also the God who forgets, but also then look to a brief summary of biblical memorials and how they might uh, uh, impact us today as we celebrate tomorrow. Uh, One of the things that always seems a little bit difficult for me and probably for you is on a day when we are remembering people who gave their lives, what do we do? We have picnics and we play games and and do these other things. But in the midst of that, uh, we will hopefully spend time in remembering as well as I'm sure that we will. Well, uh, the concept of memorials comes from the God of all, the Lord God, and he is a God who remembers But at the same time, thanks be to him, he is a God who also knows how to forget. He is omniscient. It's one of uh, a number of these omni words, omnipotent and and some others. Uh, But it means, uh, omniscient means all knowing. Um, and I just, there's many verses we go to, but I just put some verses here so you, you can think about them, look them up. Uh, he is the one, Isaiah tells us in chapter 46, who knows the end from the beginning, and those verses also say to us, and so he already knows what's going to happen even before it does. He is the one who knows all things. John talks about that in, in his letter of 1 John. And in Psalm 139, the first six verses, you can't read those without understanding that he knows each of us as well. He knows it's inside and out. He knows us no matter where we are, what we do, how we live, what we think, what we say, um, he's always there. And if Psalm 139 is not a, 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 an impetus to you or a motivation to you to live honorably before God and, and faithfully before God, um, I'm not sure what would, but you can't hide from him. When you go out and sin as a Christian, you need to understand, he knows it. He's there. He's, he's aware of what you're doing. But uh, this idea of forgets raises an interesting question that maybe you have had. But if uh, God is the one who knows 
all does he need to remember and can he possibly forget? And I think the answer uh, to the first is no, he doesn't need to remember because he knows it all already. And secondly, no, he doesn't need to forget and yet the scriptures do speak in those particular ways. For example, in Jeremiah 31, 34, speaking of the age of the coming new covenant in Christ, in this, uh, this passage, uh, 30, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, is, is uh, word for word uh, given to us in Hebrews chapter 8. But in that, in Hebrews 8, 12, that one of the features of the new covenant is that God says that I will remember their sin no more. That implies to me that he is saying, I will forget the offenses that my people have um, committed against me, but I will only do that in one, under one condition. And what is that condition? That they be in Christ. That the penalty for their sins that they've committed, that, uh, and have them all falling short of my glory, that the only way that that can be fixed is by God himself, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross, justifying us, paying the penalty for our sins, so that God, when he looks at us, doesn't anymore see sinners in filthy rags, but sees his beloved son in his white robes of righteousness, and he accepts us for what Christ has done. And so God forgets our sins, or does he? And uh, some other verses here that... Uh, I would encourage you to take a look at in, in Psalm 103, for example. Uh, it says, He, from as far as the east from the west, is distant. How far is that? The point is not that you'll go around the world and say something about 20,000 miles or something, because eventually you'll come back to where you started if you're on the equator. But the point is you can't measure the love and grace of God in forgiving you of your sins. It's an immeasurable distance. But that is, in a sense, saying God no longer uh, remembers those sins. He has put them away. And there's an important application to that a concept, that we have a God who forgets, but really, you know, I wrote a note down somewhere so that I would get it just right. Every once in a while I come up with a great sentence, and if I don't write it down, I say it wrong. It's not that God forgets, but he chooses to act as though he does forget. And he will no longer hold the one whose sin he has forgotten accountable for it, and that is because of Christ. And so to say that God forgets our sin, uh, what it is saying is simply he will no longer in any way act toward us in a way that any longer will punish us for our sins that he has forgiven fully, eternally in his son. That is how precious the once for all shed blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary is for his people. And in that forgetting, there is a very important lesson and application for us uh, that his forgetting our sins, or at least no longer holding uh, us accountable for them and no longer dealing with us as if we had even committed them. He is doing that because of that covenant relationship we have with him in Christ. 
And even when we're faithless, in other words, even as we continue sin, he is always faithful to that promise that he's made to us in his son. And so the application is, you've heard the phrase, forgive and forget. Um, how do you do that? And if you are a Christian who has been forgiven by God of your transgressions against him, you have been called, and the Lord's Prayer talks about this, to forgive others in like manner. And how do we do that? Can we forget the sins that others have committed against us? And the answer is ultimately no. But we can be like God. We can simply say, when we have said to somebody, I forgive you, what we're saying is, I forgive you, and that forgiveness is so good that I am no longer going to bring that up. That sin that you have confessed and you've asked me to forgive, I'm no longer going to bring it up as a hammer to use against you if we get in an argument in future. Husbands and wives need to hear this. That once you've said, I forgive somebody, then you need to essentially forget that. And sometimes you can't, and it can take a long time. And probably all of us have had situations where we've been greatly hurt by somebody else, a brother or sister in Christ, maybe in our own families or whatever else. And yet if, if we've heard those words sincerely given, forgive me, and we've said, I do, we need to be like God in that. And as soon as we bring it up again, what we do is we just spiral everything back to where it all started. God doesn't do that. He forgives us and it's done once for all. And now we move on in our lives until the end of time. And God will never bring it up again unless we sin against him again, I guess, would be the one caveat to that. And so an application is if you are struggling uh, with others and you, you have hurts and other things, the only way you're going to be able to forget them is if you can forgive them. And if you can act as our God does to us, uh, no longer holding us accountable for the sins of the past, but rather walking forward in relationship, mended and blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be like the God who remembers, but he also forgets. And in closing, then, I wanted to just talk for a few minutes about a summary of some of the biblical memorials that you can look at. I put some verses um, and can try to categorize these. And the first would be, uh, in the Bible, we have memorial stones or memorial monuments. And I put some verses there. The first three are uh, monuments, pillars that uh, made out of stone that Jacob erected as he had different interactions with others. Two of them are as he interacted with God at a place that, he, that Jacob named Bethel, which means the uh, house of God, that God was there and, and Jacob acknowledged that. One was with uh, Uncle Laban, and if you know the story of uh, Uncle Laban where uh, Jacob went to get a wife and ended up uh, with two wives and uh, ultimately 12 children and other things. Uh, he got a lot more than he bargained for, I think, when he made his trip to Uncle Laban. But their relationship, Laban was a conniver and, and a supplanter just like Jacob was. That's what he was called. Uh, the, the pre-converted Jacob uh, was very much like his Uncle Laban. But uh, they reached a point where they set up a stone pillar, a monument, uh, as a boundary, essentially, to say, you know, we need to come to an agreement uh, 
so that we stop trying to deceive one another anymore, and this uh, was set up for that. So we have other examples of that in the scripture as well. We have the 12 stones at the time of Joshua and the, uh, uh, the taking of the city of Jericho when the walls uh, came tumbling down That in, in preparation for that, the Lord uh, had the priests uh, select 10 who would go and they, they as the water parted uh, there at the Jordan River, uh, they picked up 12 stones and when uh, the city was won and the battle was done, they erected those stones there on the uh, in the location as a memorial that people would be able to come back to this place and know that there, by the time of Christ, Jericho was an oasis. It was a you know, Palm Springs of the Holy Land and sorts of things. But back then, there was just the ruins of, of Jericho after the children of God um, shouted and the walls came down and the Lord defeated uh, the enemy and they entered into the Promised Land. But monuments uh, in the Old Testament, stone monuments like these, were reminders of boundaries, of treaties, of events, uh, significant events, um, and you can look at those. Secondly, the Bible talks about monuments uh, and memorials, I guess we'll call them as the word of the day, in actions. And in, if the, the word memorial is used the Greek form of that twice in the New Testament. It's actually used three times because it's used in, in Matthew and Mark's Gospels about the same event. But I wanted to just take a minute because these, I think, come very directly to us to just read a portion of those to you right now. In the Gospel account, I'll read Matthew's account. In Matthew chapter 26, I'm just going to read a few verses. And the word memorial is... Um, is in the, the last verse I will read. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. How altruistic and noble of them to think that. But Jesus, aware of this and aware of the fact that there was some inconsistency in what they were saying, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. In the last verse, truly I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memorial of her. I don't know how many times that has happened, but it just happened again in the Salt and Light Church one day before Memorial Day 2022. And the point I want to make there is the deeds of the righteous, of the believers, are memorials to the God whom we serve. The way that we live our lives will be a testament. And if people can look back when our lives are done and say, here is someone, as we just did 
with dear our dear brother Evan that here was someone who served the Lord and was committed to the Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ. We become in life and in death memorials by which people can remember the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thirdly, I wanted to speak briefly from the uh, account that we, the other account was, uh, I won't read the other one, it's in Acts chapter 10, 4, and uh, this is uh, Cornelius, who was about to be, uh, meet Peter and be converted and come into the kingdom. He saw a vision of an angel of God who said to him, Cornelius, and in verse 4, the verse, fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have descended as a memorial before God. That's an amazing thing to think about our prayers as well. Our prayers are one of the ways that the God who knows all things is omniscient. The God who uh, forgets our sins also remembers. He is pleased even though he knows it all. And we know that he doesn't need to be reminded, but he is pleased when his children pray to him and remind him of their relationship to him. And remind him that we know who you are and remind him... Uh, that we want you to be our God as you have promised to be in Christ. Prayers become a memorial as well as we call upon God to remember the needs that we have, the needs that our loved ones have, the needs that a fallen world has, and ask him to help. Which brings us to Exodus chapter 3 and the burning bush. Anybody know the first time the idea of memorial is in the Bible? It's in verse 15. We know the story here. Moses uh, is, uh, comes and he, he sees, he comes aside to see this interesting, uh, incredible thing that there is a bush that is on fire and yet it is not consumed. And uh, he is there confronted by God himself who calls to him and calls him to return to Egypt so that he might be God's instrument to deliver his people from bondage to the Egyptians. And uh, Moses is right on board at first. No, he's not on board at all. Moses is looking for any, you know, Aaron's better, Eric could talk better than I can send him, anybody but me. And yet God says to him, no, I'm going to send you. Therefore, verse 10, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh. And uh, Moses is still objection. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, verse 11, and bring them out? But God said, I will be with you and you're going to go do that. And so finally Moses says, if they ask me who sent me, what am I supposed to tell them? And it's there that God says to Moses in verse 14, I want to read verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Literally, that the Hebrew there could also be translated, I will be who I will be. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, 
The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. One of the toughest, this is one of the toughest passages of Scripture, I think, to really understand, and I still don't understand all of it. Uh, but uh, there are some things that are very clear, and some things I would suggest as God uses this phrase, my memorial name. Why would he say something like that? We have an incredible event with incredible importance. But uh, this is the personal covenant name of God. We, we find that out when we move forward into Exodus chapter 6. This is, is God's very name, and it is the name of God that speaks of the uniqueness of God alone as the eternal being. And uh, we're not going to have a sermon on eternity and the idea of there being, uh, there never being any point ever where there, God has not been there. But essentially, uh, the way the, the, this is the Hebrew verb to be that is cited here in the first person, and, and the idea is, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It, it, essentially, I think the, way we, the only way I've been able to understand and translate it is, there is no point in history, in time or place, and even beyond history and the eternity itself, where you can go and God will not be there already. That he's always there. There's no place you can hide. Psalm 139, no place we can hide from him. But uh, he is the eternal one. He is the one who is always present. And so, for God, does God need to remember? We asked that question earlier. The answer is really no, because God is always there when everything has happened. It's always, in, in, in essence, eternally present to him. He, he simply uh, knows all things because of who he is and can do all things be, uh, except deny himself because of who he is. And so why would he say, this is my memorial name? This is my name that I want. I guess the closest thing is say, he's saying, this is the name that I want my people never to forget as long as the world exists until the very end of time. And by doing that, we understand who he is. He is far, he's not like us, he is far beyond us, yet he is the one who has condescended in his son to come and, and be us that he might save us from our sins. We don't have to worry that God is ever going to forget because he's always there. No matter when his people exist, they will be with a God who has known the end from the beginning and is perfectly and totally able to address whatever concerns his people have at any time, any place, throughout all of history, until the end of the age. This passage always speak, also speaks about the fact that when God says, this is who I am, he also, because of who he is, he talks about what he will do for his people. And, that, and he goes on after in verse 15, and he says these things, and then he says, and now I want you to go and tell the children of Israel what I'm about to do for them. And so we get into the idea of God's person and God's work as well reflected in this encounter with Moses. And he is the same God 
that had all of the answers for Moses in Exodus 3 that still has all of the answers for us on May 29, 2002, until the end of time. Excuse me. <coughs> God himself is our memorial. We never can forget him. And we never have the excuse that we can forgive him because he's always right there, wherever we are. Fourthly, biblical memorials uh, encompass in thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ in a particular way, include the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We, we find this in Exodus chapter 12 and the events spoken of and then the events carried out in Exodus 12 and following. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And those of you that have been in church school class here, uh, just uh, Pastor McCracken has been going through the different feasts, Jewish feasts, and as they speak to Christ, so I'm not going to repeat a lot of that. But these were annual events that the children of Israel participated in. For what purpose? What was the memorial purpose? It was to remind them year by year of the faithful God, the God whose memorial name is Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on uh, how Christians today think the vowel should be added to those. I'm a Jehovah person still, but I'm, uh, and I've, I've looked at that and I remain a Jehovah person, but that's okay. Because Jehovah, Gerardus uh, Vaughn says, and he does a wonderful exposition of, of this passage, and he, he, he simply even says, I don't really think any of us will ever know how, what vowels ought to be associated with those four consonants that make up the tetragrammaton, the the very name of our covenant God. So let's move on about that. We're not going to talk anymore about that right now. He is the one who is eternal and is totally just and yet totally gracious to save the likes of us in Christ. And so the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were events of salvation for the children of Israel where they were brought out of Egypt so that God might lead them into the land of promise, all figurative of what Christ was going to do when he came, uh, not to lead his people into an earthly uh, promised land, but rather into the very presence of God in heaven itself. The writer to Hebrews, read chapters 9 and 10 and 11, and, and, and it's spelled out for you there very clearly. But these are called memorials, ordinances, because their point was twofold now. Oxford and Cambridge, biblically, I think, got it right. It is to remind us of our God and the things that he has done, but it is also to remind us of the necessity that death be associated with this idea of memorial. And the, the Old Testament people of God were delivered to the death of the firstborn of Egypt the death of the firstborn of Israel were spared because of the substitute of a Passover lamb that was killed in each home of Israel. And where that Passover lamb was celebrated, the blood of that sacrifice was put on the doorposts, around the door of the home, and when the angel of death uh, came over Egypt, the firstborn and those were spared. 
And the end result was God delivered by his mighty hand his people in a very bloody and difficult way, but in a very final and deliberate way and led them into the land of promise. And in the new covenant, we have our own Passover feast, our own memorial, and it's called the Lord's Supper. And uh, we read about it in 1 Corinthians and I'm going to be, again, very brief here. We are called in the Lord's Supper to remember our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. To remember who he is. What do we remember about him? What do, what do we need to remember about who he is? He is God the Son. He is eternal. He is God the Son who came in the flesh and took on flesh and bones, born in the womb of a human mother, as all of us have been. What else do we, we, we need to remember? That he grew up. He was a young boy. He was a teenager. He was a young adult. Died at about the age of 33. Began his earthly ministry as a priest in the Old Testament. Did at the age of 30. But the most significant thing was he did all of that without ever sinning. And so he was able to be the unblemished Passover lamb of God's New Testament people and shedding his blood that covers our sins as Psalm 32 speaks about. And so we remember who he is. That's who he is. The one who uh, had it all in heaven at the very right hand of power on high for all eternity and yet was willing to come and die for you and for me. And I still don't, I still in my prayer life from time to time say, Jesus, why, why, why would you do that for me. And yet you did, and how thankful I am. So Paul reminds us we are to remember uh, what Jesus, who Jesus was, and what he did for us. And Paul makes it a point to uh, use the Oxford and Cambridge definition of a memorial in the Lord's Supper that whenever you eat and drink, whenever we as Christians participate in this sacrament, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We mourn the fact that he died, and of all people who have ever died, including Evan, including Ed Socha and others, he was not worthy of death, and yet he did, so that all of us could live. And so we close with our lives as memorials. Peter, in First Peter chapter 2, he calls us living stones. And I think the memorial idea is found in, in that passage along with a number of other ideas as well. But our lives are to be lives that when people look at them, when our children, parents look at us, our lives need to be such that when we go to be with the Lord in glory, they will be able to tell their children, I learned these treasures of the Lord Jesus from mom and dad. And their lives were a memorial to me as their son or as their daughter that I followed in. And now I plead with you and we plead with our grandchildren. There are some of them sitting here today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And where you looked at Grandpa or Papa is 
you call and you say, well, what I, I see is a stone sitting on a sofa watching the ball game or something like that. Think of me a little differently than that, okay? All of you children, follow in the faith of your, your parents. Your parents are praying for you. I'm praying for your children. And I'm praying I will stay around long enough to see some of them. Probably won't see all of them in my lifetime. And yet, we are to be living stones. We are to live for Christ, not just in our home, which is where the hardest place to do it, but in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities. That is part of being an example of the believer to an 80 world. And even in our death, uh, we are memorials to God. Heaven is a memorial to God. Do you know the Greek word for gravestone? It is meneon. It is from the root word remember. Heaven's life was a testimony to me and to many of us. We heard many of those testimonies on Friday afternoon. May we be those who are giving a similar testimony so that the same can be said of us. It was impressive to have an hour and a half to drive through Arlington Cemetery where there are 400,000 plus gravestones. And there are 400,000 plus people there to be remembered by so many. So not only learn from the memorials that point to Christ, but also understand that you are in Christ, one who will be in a memorial to your family and to your friends as well. Tomorrow we will particularly focus on those who have taken up arms and have been willing to go out and shed their blood. May they never be forgotten. We also were confronted with a great and tragic event in Texas. And those great and tragic events seem to have started a number of years ago in a town south of Denver in a high school called Columbine. And to this day, when I I go online and other things, um, and uh, we remember the anniversary of that event, as I know is happening, will happen in uh, Uvalde, Texas, and in all of these other places. Uh, but the thing that uh, is said still today that me is meaningful to Coloradoans is never forgotten whenever Columbine comes up. They understand what a memorial is. May we never forget the Lord God whom we serve. And may we never cease to serve him faithfully through and in his Son, by his Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for giving to us the treasures of heaven itself through the death of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we never forget him. May we as Christians be committed to that same saying that he will never be forgotten in our lives as we go forth to love and to serve him 
and in his name to love and to serve others. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you gave to your people, the family and friends of the Heinemans and the Heffel families to say goodbye to Evan and to offer love and empathy and sympathy and all those other things to his family and friends. And Father, we pray that you will continue to bless in so many ways. Lord, we heard testimonies from those who knew Evan and testimonies about his witness as a Christian to them. And we pray that that witness will continue even beyond uh, the 25 years that you gave him on this earth. We pray for special comfort for Melissa and for James, who have lost a son. We pray for Matthew and for Sophie and for Logan, who have lost a brother. We pray for John and Angie and Connor and Josie, who have lost a nephew and a cousin, and for so many others uh, that are in that extended family. But we also pray for the Christian family as well, that you will comfort and encourage each of us as we remember heaven as the God of all comfort. Lord, we need it. And we pray that you will provide it in a unique way as each of us needs it. So, Father, we pray for healing and for joy as we go forward. And we pray that you will continue to build your church as we deal with the day-to-day stories of individual Christians and their families that are worked out in so many different ways. And, Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country, and we do remember those that we may know and certainly those that we don't know who were willing to give their lives that we might have these freedoms. May you continue to preserve our country and may you call our country from the highest office down to the lowest citizen at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.